going to stay on track with all that God is doing and saying into our lives. And um, so we've, we've uh, plotted a course over the next few weeks of, uh, quest- with, with a, a, a ministry series entitled Questions and Answers. It's not a problem to have questions. And interestingly, it's not a problem to have questions even as a believer. Um, and sometimes we feel guilty about that. But we thank, we thank God that the answer is always found in him. And uh, so last week, um, we uh, were able to listen to the great ministry on that question of why. And this morning, we're going to deal with the question of if. Uh, and uh, during this time, <clears throat> we're doing one or two things just a, a little differently. It's certainly not the first time we've done an interview-style uh, presentation. And uh, that's going to take place this morning. But in that, I encourage you to listen carefully because the Word of God will just come forward I'll just bring it to a close at the end and give an opportunity for anybody that wishes to respond to God's word uh, to do so. Um, we invite people into the church to bring a word. and Sometimes we have people literally from the other side of the world that come and minister into the church. But we never want to forget that in Arena Church, we have people that serve the Lord and serve his people uh, in a great way week after week after week. So our interviewee this uh, morning is uh, someone that uh, many of you uh, who have come to Arena Church have probably met before most other people because he's the head of our car park team. Uh, He's the message before the message. And we often say to people, you know, Christian or myself or anybody else can sort of feel we've preached up a storm. But if people have been confronted with grumpiness, rudeness, disconnection, uh, folk aren't hearing that because they've already heard a message. So we thank God for welcomes. And, um, and we thank God for people that serve us, even uh, uh, this morning when we've sort of got the backlash of Hurricane Bertha raging through, we're pouring rain. There are people out there giving folks a welcome and helping them to park the cars. So um, uh, it's a real joy this morning. Not only does he serve us so well in that and lead that team, uh, but as you know, he's also the manager of our football team and the season starts in a couple of weeks again. And uh, so why don't we give a great welcome this morning to Hank, Mark Ankliff. Thank you. Yeah. Fix the biggest stools. <laughs> yeah. There you go. You're up. See? Always for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel a bit small down here. But <laughs> yeah. Um, Hank's real name is Mark, but he's yeah. known to every one of us as Hank. And uh, this morning, we're just going to uh, share a few questions with him. He's going to share a little bit of his story. And uh, we're going to build it around that whole question of if. So, Hank, welcome. And uh, thank you for being willing to share with everybody in Arena Church on this Sunday morning. And uh, many people know you pretty well. You've been around the church now for nine, ten years. But, of course, there'll be people that uh, don't know you. And we're always learning always about each other anyway. So perhaps before we do anything else, maybe you just share a little bit of your background, your family, your job. Uh, those sorts of things, please. Yeah, um, I come from a working class background. Um, uh, I'd say my, my father, mother and father weren't really well blessed money-wise. I think um, they got by the best they could. Um, I was part of um, my, my real mother um, and my father. Um, I never really knew my real mother's love because I think I was about seven when my mother and father split up. Um, didn't know the situation why they split up 
But they did. And um, I was, a, I was like a, a daddy's boy sort of thing. I'd always been all around my father, so I never really got to know my mother that much. But I do know that I blame my mother for the breakup. I didn't even have a clue why it was, but I just had this resentment that it was my mother's fault. So from that day onwards, when they split up, um, I, never, I think I only saw my mother again once. And then when I tried to get back in touch with her again, I found out that she died. So that opportunity had gone. Um, when my mother and father split up, I had, there was a sister and a brother involved. My brother, he stopped with my mother, and I've never seen him from that day till now. It's another thing I've not seen. But my father went on in life. Um, I went to live with my auntie because my father couldn't cope. I think we had the electricity cut off, the gas cut off. And I think he even had his ass repossessed at one time. So I had to live with my auntie. Um, I wasn't really a confident person at that time. Um, I, I was living at Kimberley at the time, and I just remember being, well, it was like there was nobody for me to reach out to. My father was always the one I reached out to, but he wasn't there no more. It was like we'd split up, and I was... Uh, I didn't really know my auntie that well or my uncle that well, to be honest. They had three children of their own, so I didn't really have a lot of time for me. I just mingled into what it was. Um, I was in this foreign place where I wasn't that confident, and I was bullied at school. I was terrified sometimes to go to school. But the only thing was, the next-door neighbour, their son was in the year above, and he took me under his, under his cloak like, and... Um, he protected me, sort of thing, with all these guys in my year. And um, we got to the end of the year, and the guys that were in my year says, oh, we're having you next year because this guy ain't going to look after you no more. You've got no protection no more. So even though I never believed in God at an early age, God was still looking over me from even when I was born because just after that, my father came and said, I've met this new woman. She's got one of her own. Um, you're not stopping your answer no more. You're coming back to live with me. So he'd even done something like that. Even though I didn't know at the time God was working in it, he was. Yeah. And so I went to live with my mum and dad. We came to Cockmanay, which was quite um, a feisty place. There's a few people from Cockney in here, so they know what situation you're walking into. So if I thought I was bullied in Kimberley, crikey, I was going to look out for it in Cockmanay. But <laughs> <laughs> look at it. I, I, I just got to know people, and it was just a different scenario, everything. And um, obviously, we was a family with two children from my father's first relationship, three children from my mother's first relationship, then another child together. So I end up the eldest of six. So really, if I'm looking for attention, the attention wasn't there, really. If I speak now, I look back now and think, well, there were six kids, we were going to share their attention all around. I was the eldest, so it was not like I was the one that was going to look after everybody else. So I found for myself. So I tend to drive more to my friends. Um, that was a scenario of that. Eventually... As the years went by, um, I eventually met a girl. The thing was, I'd never known a mother's love. I'd never known how to treat a woman. And I met this girl, and it was just like a, a wham-bam relationship sort of thing. I got this girl pregnant. Wrong with me, I know. My father was old-fashioned. You've got to get married. She's got to have a name. So that was the next step. But the, the woman I was married already committed adultery on me while we was courting. So what I expect from this relationship, I'll never know. I've got no idea, Phil. I just didn't know where I was going with it, but I'm thrust there, I'm 20, I've got a child, I'm married. 
and I'm selfish. And I don't know how to treat a woman. And so I look back now and think, well, what was you doing? I got no idea what I was doing. I wasn't a good father because I was selfish. All I knew was what I'd done myself all the while. I'd been with my mates, done what I wanted to do. And so it all went from there. My son, I used to look after my son. It always worked around sport. If I wasn't footballing, I'd look after my son. That was the way I, I worked. I didn't know any other way. I didn't know how to care for a woman. I didn't know how to show affection. I'd never been, that had never come out of me. So to me, it was wrong what I was doing, but it was the only thing I knew. That didn't make it right, but that's what I was doing. So eventually, obviously, the relationship collapsed. It was, it was a no-go area, really. It was just doomed from the start. No, thanks, thanks, Hank, and thanks for yeah. just uh, giving us a little bit of that yeah. uh, background. Um, I think some of us are aware that um, before, you, before you came to faith, and we'll come to that a little later yeah. in terms of... Because I, I noticed already that you, you've been very conscious that God's had his hand upon your life yeah. even before you came yeah, to definitely, faith. definitely, definitely. But before you came to faith, um, uh, you had to face a number of challenges. And I wonder if you'd perhaps just share a little bit of that this morning and, uh, uh, if possible, just a little bit of the pain yeah. you had to navigate yeah. in all of that. Thank you. Can I just say that if this is my journey and just say that when I found God, it's made all this, I've worked it all through. And yeah. I realise now that things happen for reasons at times that I'll never know yeah. until actually I go and see, the, see Jesus in his glory and ask him, because I'll never know why. But the thing was, I had a son from this marriage that didn't survive. Now, at first, he went to live with his, his mother. Um, so it was about 10, then one day, I, was, I kept working in that time. Then she came to me, your son wants to come and live with you. He's being bullied. So, fine. So, it was a no-brainer, really. You're just, fair enough, he's coming to live with me then. That's it. There's, no, there's nothing more to do. So, he came to live with me. I got to know him more and more. I didn't really know my son because, although I had him at weekends, he didn't, there was a bond there, but not that great bond between a father-son bond, which probably some of your parents here will know. And so, I got to know him more and more. And eventually, I, I, I met a woman that's still with me today, Amanda, who God must have brought across because there's no way in a million years I'd have thought about meeting this woman and she was so different to me. And I was so different with her. It was, it was ever, she got a child from a, a relationship. So it was odd at first because I got a child and she got a child and I thought, we're going round again in circles, my mum and dad all over again. But I said, I'm determined it's not going to end up like that. Right. So we got together. We got married eventually. We had a daughter together. Obviously, I had a stepdaughter from, and everything was going well. Well, I thought it was going well, and then all of a sudden, when my son was 16, 17, he left home to go and live with his friend's house. And one morning, about, I think it'd be about two o'clock in the morning, there's a knock on the door. My wife said to me, Who's that? I've got no idea. She went to open the door, there's two policemen stood there. Can we come in a minute? So, invited them in. And um, I stood there, and she said, it's about Stephen. And my first reaction was, what's he done now? What's all was in? I'm sorry what he's done, blah, blah, blah. He's in prison. I'll come and sort him out. No, I've got some bad news for you. And what's that? She says, um, he's had an epileptic seizure this morning. He's banged his head, and he's died. Um, words can't describe how I felt. I was, well, I didn't shake any tears or anything. It was just the fact that it was a complete shock. He was only 17, and nobody ever expects to, to have to have that news from somebody telling your own son's died. Mm. 
So those questions in my mind when it happened, um, it, a lot of hurt come out, a lot of pain, a lot of soul searching, a lot of, a lot of ifs came out, Phil, to tell you the truth. If he'd have been living at home, would I have been able to do anything different? If it had been there for him when he had this seizure, could I cope with it better? Could I have dealt with it? Could I have helped him? And, Lord, if I'd have done this, because I knew there was a God then. I even knew there was a God, because when this happened in somebody else's ass, I went to the house where it was cordoned off, where this had happened in the house. And I'm saying, God, why? And so I asked questions even then. Although I wasn't, I didn't know God. I'm not saying I knew God, but I knew the other God. Yeah. I knew other God. I didn't know him, but I knew other God. So I was searching, obviously. Um, now I look back, now I've found faith. It's been so great to me. How I dealt with that was unreal, because you often think you know your own son, but a few of his friends came round and spoke to me and spoke things that I didn't know. Like I didn't know how well liked he was. I didn't know how many friends he got. And my father was a bit and because I suffer from epilepsy. I blame myself, thinking if I have epilepsy and it's, it's passed down hereditary, he would have happened like this. So I'm blaming myself for it. If he hadn't been my son and had this thing inside him, it would have happened. So there was self-blame. And then I got talking to his, his mates, and they were all down to earth and typical Cockney lads and this is what we used to get up to so I didn't know any of that so I thought I knew him but I didn't and then the, the, the thing that God blessed me with and I, I didn't know at the time but when we went to bury my son we went past his school and every member of school children everybody stood at the top of the street and I'll never forget that moment and that was God's grace I didn't know at the time but that was God saying look this is, this, is this, God, this is your son's life. This is how well-liked he was. This is how well-respected he was. I didn't know. So that helped my pain. It really helped my pain. And then, obviously, we had a, obviously I'd got um, another daughter anyway, so life went on. Life does go on. Don't it, Phil? You've got to go on. And when my daughter... That happened in 2001. I think it was about 2003. And um, we sat watching... Um, it was a Sunday morning... And I sat watching, there was a service, it was from Peterborough, it was a Christian service. And my daughter says to me, Dad, I'd like to go to a service like that. Do you know where we can go to one? Well, at the time, this was still being built, and we was at the Regency rooms. So I says, fine, yeah, yeah, we'll go to one. So I always remember trepidation, Sunday morning. I didn't know what I'm doing, why am I going to this church? But my daughter wants to go, so I'm going. So it was her fault if it didn't work out. So... <laughs> At the Regency Rooms, we went to the Regency Rooms and we got to the stairs at the bottom. And I always remember the first person that greeted me were John and Sandy. And it's funny, funny how God works, isn't it? Because now I'm greeting them, <laughs> which is awesome. <laughs> and they were awesome. And they, they made me feel at ease. And then we went up the stairs. And then I know you'll remember, Julie, the, the, the Regency Rooms and the steps and the rooms and everything. And everywhere along the way, we was greeted and felt welcome and felt part of it. And then... I realized Christian was preaching that day. I remember the preach. And even that first preach, something inside me kept saying, how does he know me that well? The, the, the sermon was about me. How does he know me? He's, he's hitting me. And somebody, somebody stared straight away. You don't know why, but he did. And God, God, just, just, and Christian was, I forget the message now, but it was about searching inside yourself for God and knowing that there's somebody there that you can lean on when you need in times of trouble. And I just couldn't, 
I, I didn't know this feeling. I didn't know what it was. It was just something in my heart. And just something in my heart. I thought, I'm having a heart attack or not. No, it wasn't. It was, it was, it was the Holy Spirit. It was just something working. I know that now. Obviously, at the time, I didn't. It was something very strange to me. So, wow, that first time there, that was it. It changed me. It, I'm not saying it changed me straight away because it didn't. I still had a lot of things to work through, and it was the start of a journey. Yeah. And I'm still on a journey now, and it ain't finished. And I'm still dealing with things like issues and everything like that. But it was an awesome time. Fantastic. And we, we, we realised, I was just sharing with Christian this week, that um, just um, an, an angst, a great illustration of that, as we all are around this room, God's always at work and God's always breaking into people's lives. Yeah, yeah he is. And, um, and if you're here this morning thinking that you're, you're, you, you, you can't get to God, then God's always wanting to break into people's lives mm. and change them. And you've just heard there that uh, out, of, out of a painful journey, um, Grace. Um, Hank uh, k- came and found faith in the Lord. Yeah. And uh, he's on a journey, but we all are as well. Yeah. Hank, um, we've been trying to wrestle with that question of if. And I mm. um, wonder for, for a moment, if you just share briefly, just thinking this morning, um, yeah. if you hadn't made that decision yeah. to follow the Lord, mm. what would have been the consequences that sit over your life? Can I just mention something else? I, I missed out, and I'm sorry, Phil. I did miss it when I was talking about my life. When my wife, my first wife and I split up, and she had my son, um, there was a time where I hit rock bottom. Um, I had nowhere to live, and I was living, I don't know if some people know the old council house, so there used to be a little room at the top of the stairs, a little closet, and I used to sleep in there at night. That was my, my bedroom. And it got to a stage where I'd got, I didn't really lean on family. I'd lost my friends through the relationship I'd had because I'd blotted my friends out of my life and my relationship with my ex-wife was all I had. So I'd got nothing. So one day I picked my son up and it was premeditated and it, it was wrong of me now but I did it. I premeditated, I picked my son up, I took him to my dad and says, can you look after my son? I've got, I've got nip somewhere 10 minutes. He said, my father says, yeah, no problem. We'll, we'll look after him. So I walked, and I don't know if any of you know Langley Mill, the bypass bridge, over the bypass. I walked there, and I thought, there's nothing left for me to live for. And I jumped off the bridge. Now, I shouldn't have done that. I know that, and I've worked through that. But I survived it. And there was no way I was going to survive it because I was going to kill myself. I just didn't want life no more. It was nothing to me. I got nothing. I had nobody that would come and say to me, look, Hank, there's, there's more to life than this. There's nobody like that. So I just went and did it. And to be honest, when I came around the hospital, I, I asked then, I've even done that wrong. I can't even get that right. And it like, if I'd had somebody there, and I realised somebody was there for me. I'd have never got to that stage. But if God hadn't been with me, I would have died when I jumped off that bridge. There's no way I should have survived diving off that bridge. No way. So that was there. And I didn't get, obviously, till I found God, I never reasoned that way. But now I look back in my life and things that's happened. And it must have been God that was there all the while. But he had just waited for me to knock on the door and ask and let him in. That was what it was. So when I came to Arena, and obviously I was, I, was, I was saved straight away. And then I was baptised. And then 
all these things started happening to me and I couldn't understand why. And I got, when I was doing something, there was this like, little mess inside me saying, you shouldn't be doing that. And I'm thinking, yeah, but I've always done it. And then something's saying, well, yeah, but it shouldn't be. And then it's like I've got a conscience, because obviously at this time, in my early Christian days, the trilogy, I couldn't get my head around. And I don't know if any new believers are here, but I just couldn't get my head around it. And so this Holy Spirit thing was totally alien to me at that time. So I'm just thinking, something in my head is playing up, playing up and telling me I can't do it. As I've gone in my journey, it has affected my life so much. And I've learned more and more each time. But I have to keep going back in. I have to keep listening to things. I have to keep reading the Bible. I have to keep watching the media clips. And I have to keep... And I'm not the perfect Christian. There's a lot more Christians in this building. There are a lot more Christian like me. Anybody can call themselves a Christian. But it's nothing being a practicing Christian. Anybody can say that. And you're always judged because you say you're a Christian. People, oh, you're a Christian. You can't do this. You can't do that. And I found that it takes a lot of courage to be a Christian, to stand up in these days and say, yeah, I am a Christian. I have these beliefs. I have these morals. And like Christian was just saying about the people in the village. Now, to me, that utter persecution. But, but I'm on a little scale of that. But that's for all of us in this building to do. Because in life, I found that God takes you on different journeys. When I, when I came to manage, I managed a football team. Someone had asked me, he said, will you come and manage this football team for me? After my son had died. And I knew some of the lads, it was a Cockney team. And so I said, yeah, no problem. The next thing I'm doing, I'm asking Christian to sponsor the football team. The church, God's in it again. What's he doing? The first three years, we got promoted three times, two cup finals and won a cup. That wasn't me. And I still say it wasn't me now. God was working in it. God was bringing it all together. And now we've got the arena football team now. And last season was a miracle because we came from nowhere to win a league and get to two cup finals. But it wasn't me managing. It was God. God was over it all. At times, you have to say, there's a divine intervention here. And he's still working now. And I just want, I just crave for more. And I'm impatient for more. But I don't know where he's going to lead me. And I'm always yearning. And I'm always reading. And I'm always wanting. But when you manage a football team, you become like a father figure to some of them. Because arena football team, there's only about three people that aren't, are too old to be my sons. It's like they're all kids in my thing. And it's like, you've got to set an example to them. And I'm trying to set an example to them. And the hardest thing I find is on a Saturday morning, there's 15 people there who want to play football. And I love all of them. But I've got to choose 11. So I'm racking my brain, God, what do I do? I, I, I don't want to upset nobody. And I'm trying to deal with that because I want to love everybody. They're all my, they're my friends. You know what I mean? They're all one big family. And I don't like leaving people out. And I don't like when they're upset. And I don't like... And that's why sometimes I'll just name the team and walk out the room because there's going to be so many people upset in there. They're going to find me. They're going to come outside and find me. But that's what God's making me. He's making me. I'm dealing with things now, as Christian and Phil will know about work. But God's saying, you've got to love your enemy. You've, you've got to get up. You've got to love them. Even though you know you think they're wrong, you've got to love and choose. It's like, I've come a long way because one time, if somebody said something wrong about me in the past, there'd have been a mighty punch-up and I'd have either won or lost. But now, God's working in me saying, you don't need to be like that no more. Yeah. You, you need to be, at times, you need to be the bigger man. You don't need to get involved in confrontation. You don't need to, you need to talk to people. You need to listen to people. I don't get it right all the while, don't get me wrong. I make so many mistakes in my life, it's still unreal. But you know the thing is now, when I make the mistakes, the Spirit's telling me. And you know the next morning when I'm praying, Lord, I know, 
I know I did wrong, Lord. And I know, I know I'm promising you now, Lord, I'm going to try my best and do better and do this and do that. And it's the same with my marriage. I'm trying my hardest in my marriage. I make mistakes in my marriage. I make mistakes with my children. I'm not perfect. But I'll keep trying. And with God's help and the Bible and the people around me and my friends and family. Because to be honest, when I became part of that car park, it was the most privileged position you could ever get. Because I got to know so many people in so short a time. It's unreal. And I've got so many friends now. It's unreal. And you know when I don't see them on a, on a Sunday morning, it's like, well, I've not seen such, such this morning. Where is she? I hope she's okay. And then it's in my prayers on Monday morning. Lord, I hope they're okay. They're not there this morning. I hope they're okay. Or when Josh is leading the... I wished now, it wasn't my calling, but I wish I was Josh's age or Pete's age or Kev's age. The youth they're doing is fantastic with the youth. And I, I didn't do that. I'm 50 years old and I'm just getting... I'm going for it. And I'm, these guys must be full of, full of God. And they're doing an awesome job. But I've missed out on that. But my calling wasn't that. God had... It's still got different plans for me. And I don't know where I'm going to go. And I don't know where he's going to lead me. But I know I'm going to trust in him. I know. Thank you. Just this morning uh, before church, I was reading Romans 8 again. And, of course, it talks about being led by the Spirit. And it sounds great. But, of course, uh, the Spirit of God's really keen about us getting it right. Yeah. And he's quick to tell us otherwise. Yeah. And that's what you've heard this morning. Yeah, you know. That is the spirit-led life. Yeah. It's not a rule book. No. But it's the spirit of God drawing us to be more and more like Jesus. And um, it's great to just see Hank's appetite for the things of God. And yeah. we know that God's got great things for you going forward. Yeah. Hank, just as we come to a close, it's pretty apparent from the story this morning that if God hadn't have stepped in, yeah. uh, you'd have been in a very different place. Probably won't be here. Probably won't be here now, if I admit it now. If God hadn't been in my life, I wouldn't be here. Um, and I wonder if you could just maybe just share as a close a Bible verse that's uh, yeah. meant a lot to you. Yeah. Uh, as we just bring that whole sense of wrestling with the question of if yeah. to a conclusion. Thank you. There's a lot of Bible verses that I like um, that I really rely on and they're all in orange. But this one um, is what it, it, it speaks to me regular. And it's from Matthew 7, verse 7 and 8. And it says, keep on asking and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Hank, for sharing so well with us this morning. And uh, just as we come to a conclusion this morning, we're going we're gonna to pray in a moment or two. Because uh, you may be here this morning wrestling with the whole question of if. And um, I was thinking this morning of uh, Jesus being confronted with the enemy, the enemy of our souls, the enemy that wants to take away our destiny, the enemy wants to bring life to a shorter conclusion than what God's got in mind. And he said to Jesus there, <clears throat> just after Jesus had been baptized and filled with the Spirit, in the wilderness, he says, if you're the son of God, uh, then why don't you turn this uh, stones to bread? And if you're the son of God, then why don't you throw yourself from the temple top? And if you're the son of God, why don't you bow to me so that all the nations would bow? And um, I'm so glad that Jesus navigated that if in an appropriate way. Because every time he pushed back on it and used the word of God to repel the ifs of the enemy. 
so that we could be here this morning in triumph and victory. And uh, God's got a plan and a purpose for every one of us. It outworks itself in different ways. I was interested that uh, Hank was just saying about sometimes the frustration of coming to faith at a later age. The number of people I've come across that come to faith at 40, 50, and 60 and say, oh, if only it happened at 18, 19. But God knows. God knows what, sometimes what we have to walk through and go through and experience. But he's always stepping in and he's always changing lives. Wonderful prayer moment. Thank you.